welcome to Chromosphere, the color theory podcast. My name is Ed Charbonneau. I am an artist whose main focus is on painting, and I am also an adjunct faculty member in the Fine Arts Department at the Minneapolis College of Art and Design. This podcast presents a series of conversations about color, color usage, and optics as they relate to theories of human color perception in the making of visual art and design. Today, I would like to talk about after images. What are after images? After images occur when the cones of the retina tire and weaken due to overstimulation allowing other cones to briefly play a more dominant role in color vision. So for instance, if I'm staring at a red object, the red receptor cones in my retinas are going to be excited and vibrating and stimulated and they get tired and they kind of start to go to sleep. And if you stare at that red image long enough, you'll notice, or you might be able to notice, that the, the intensity of the red will diminish over time because it's becoming more and more difficult to perceive the red color. Now, in that state, the other receptor cones, mainly for blues and greens, they are maintaining their strength. And so if you look at another object after looking at this red object for a length of time, you will see the complement of that color emerge. If you Google after image, you'll come up with, you'll be brought to a whole number of websites that have interesting ways of demonstrating this effect. You can do it right where you are, wherever you're sitting right now, by looking at whatever random thing you want to select like I've got a scissors here that has a yellow handle, and I just want to stare at it for as long as I can, uh, keep my eyes open, so like a minute or, or longer, you know, not to, you don't want to like, um, you know, strain your eyes too much. And then if I avert my gaze to like a white piece of paper, something neutral, I will see the after image of that scissors, uh, the yellow handle, floating kind of ghost-like, and it'll be a bluish, uh, violet, bluish tone that may or may not be the exact opposite in terms of value as well. I'm kind of looking into that. Our after images, they they are the complement of the color that you're seeing, but are they the inverted value of that color as well, like always? I know sometimes they are. But anyway, I'll get back to you on that one. Uh, And I should be more specific. So we're in the additive mode of uh, light mixing, spectral light. So it's the additive color wheel that we're playing with. And in in the additive color wheel, colors that are complementary, like the ones that are across from each other on the color wheel, they add up to white. And so they are actually referred to as supplemental colors. And so in an in an afterimage situation, the yellow that I'm staring at is referred to as the inducer color, 
and the blue violet that I will see as a result of my red and green cones tiring, because red and green cones are responsible for perceiving yellow. The blue cones will be much more um, strong in my color vision. And so therefore, that white piece of paper is the sum of all colors. It's reflecting all colors. So since I, since I won't be able to see the reds and greens in that white light that's reflected back to me, I will see more blue tones in the exact shape of the scissors. There's some really cool paintings, and um, or like an artist named Jasper Johns played a lot with this throughout his career. And the Walker Art Center has like a really famous example of him demonstrating the afterimage effect, where he's painted in a, a flag from the United States of America. So imagine like a large canvas that's about six feet tall and maybe four feet across, and it's painted gray. And in the upper half, there's a flag that's painted, and it might be like one feet high and two feet across or something, I'm kind of guessing. And so the American U.S. flag is red, white, and blue, of course, right? So where there would be blue, the blue field, he's painted that orange. And where he's got white stars, he's painted those white stars black. And then for the stripes, red and white, he's got green and black stripes. And then in the middle of the painting thing, he put a little dot, and it's gray, and it's about the size of, um, it's about a quarter inch. And so then right below it, he has the same thing painted, only in a monochromatic gray, and it's just a textural brush palette marks, and, and it's like gooped up paint to capture the same shape of the painting of the flag. So the the stars and the field and the stripes, you can see them all, but they're all gray. It's all the same color. And then there's a dot in the middle of that one too. So if you stare at the inverted flag until your eyes kind of start to hurt and then and staring at that little dot in that flag and then move your eye down to stare at the dot of the textural flag, you'll see like essentially a perfect red, white, and blue U.S. Uh, flag floating on that textural ground of gray. And so there, this comes back to that idea is, is the afterimage always an inverted value structure. I, he did a series of prints too where he's working with like bullseyes. So a lot of his work is just these iconic kind of symbols. And so there's one where he has painted in the, um, or no, it's a print actually. I think it's a lithograph. And he's got a yellow and blue bullseye uh, with concentric circles of yellow and blue next to each other. And when I stared at that, I recently saw it over at the Walker and I stared at the wall afterwards. The blue after image was the same yellow as what was in the print and the yellow after image was the same exact blue that was in the print so i was able to effectively see like a mirror image of of the print right next to it at the same time and so i yeah i thought that was super fascinating and it, it's weird like that um, painting of the flag that jasper johns did is kind of one of the walkers more kind of like benchmark pieces but i can't find an image of it online i wonder if they own the copyright i wonder yeah i can't find any pictures of it so they have to use your imagination on that so yes after images the first known example i've come across about someone describing this after image effect was in 1742 and 43 
a French naturalist by the name of Comte Buffon, in a series of lectures to the French Academy of Sciences, described what later became known as afterimages, or actually what Michel Chevrol described as successive contrast almost 100 years later in 1842, or no, 1839, sorry about that. Chevrol describes this afterimage effect, or as I said, the law, his, he called it the law of successive contrast in a book titled The Laws of Contrast of Color, colon, and their application to the arts of painting, decorating, decoration of buildings, mosaic work, tapestry and carpet weaving, calico printing, dress, paper staining, printing, military clothing, illumination, landscape, and flower gardening. And so that was published in 1857. Chevrol, I believe, was a chemist and working with textiles. And so he mainly applied this knowledge to the mixing of threads to create different tones of cloth. Goethe actually describes after images as well in Zur Farben Lyra, or a Theory of Colors, in 1810, I believe that came out. So this visual effect has been kind of playing a part in these seminal works on color theory for uh, the last, going on a couple hundred years. And most recently to me, there was a story last fall on National Public Radio. I was driving home and they announced the winner of this year's Society for Science and the Public's Broadcom Masters Award as being a person by the name of Ishnana Kumar, who her research paper, her research was into the, quote, the imaginary colors of afterimages. So that broadcast happened on uh, October 22nd, 2020. So here we have 12-year-old middle school person winning an award, a national award, experimenting with this effect. So it's like, it's still ongoing. I think that there's a lot known about it. And then there's a lot of question marks too, because it really comes down to human color perception which there's a lot known, but there's still a lot that is unknown about the topic and how it all takes place. And Chevrol is generally the person that I see as the go-to back to writing the first kind of definitive description of this, because he goes to great lengths to describe the effects of different afterimages on different colors, on different backgrounds, in terms of the impact of afterimages on a black background. So he goes through red, green, yellow, all the different colors, and what it does to the black, which in another episode that I have entitled Black Plastic, I talk about Chevrolet's first law of simultaneous contrast and its relationship to how black plays a role in not being that affected by the colors that are around it. Our perception of the black remains rather strongly neutral as opposed to becoming imbued by the afterimage colors, the supplemental colors of the objects that are placed on it or near or around it or in it or whatever. So hence that it makes for like the an ideal way to present food, thus making it more appetizing. But it's not recycled, so it's kind of messed up. So Chevrol describes the first law of simultaneous contrast, which has to do with how colors bring out each other's complements 
when placed next to each other in perception. And then he describes the afterimage effect that he refers to as successive contrast. And then he has a third law that's referred to the law of mixed contrast. So mixed contrast is almost like a hybrid of his first two laws because they are somewhat related in terms of how our weakening cone cells in our retinas are constantly adjusting and altering the colors that we see and how that's like changing in real time all the time. And if you stare at something until your eyes are like bugging out of your head and then look at like the sidewalk or a piece of paper or something, you'll see this really distinct ghost-like afterimage. But a lot of the time, but that's like an extreme experiment kind of thing. But it's it's happening on, on a continual basis like all the time. It's just not as noticeable. In other words, like when I'm mixing paint and I'm staring at the blob of cobalt blue or something like that and I'm like looking at this thing, the longer I look at it, my perception of it is diminishing, especially if I've got it on a background that isn't neutral the colors that are around it, like if there's a bunch of red or something, are going to make that blue feel more like a green blue than what it actually looks like. And it can be like kind of shocking to be mixing up a color and then you put it on your painting and it's like, that doesn't look like anything. that I, That's got way too much green in it because now it's surrounded by other colors and they are having a successive contrast effect on that color. And so when you're really dialing in a color palette that's really tight to one band of the spectrum, let's say you've got a lot of, you know, you're mainly in the red to orange to yellow zone. If you put a, and that's like 90% of the colors that you're using, they could be very bright or even very, um, neutral like brown or gray but if they're leaning towards that part of the spectrum if you put a blue or a violet in there it's gonna that violet won't look the same if it's on your palette so i've actually been experimenting with using a gray backing for my palette because i find the white if i'm working on a white palette that that is too stark and so i yeah um but anyway uh, the jury's kind of still out on that but use i'm i recently set up like a neutral gray background to be able to see my colors a little bit more clearly i think that's my theory at least the gray has less of an impact on the colors so back to chevrolet's law of mixed contrast that is how do i describe this he describes it in his book that the effects of simultaneous and successive contrasts on the retina will mix into the perception while viewing other colors in proximity to each other and over time. So this is taking place rather quickly. And the way he gives an example in the book to experiment with this, and you can do this wherever you're sitting right now, like I tried it with an orange post-it note just now and it totally worked, like close one of your eyes, close like your left eye, and look at, it. it's helpful if it's just a solid color of an object, but and that it's colorful as opposed to like black or white or gray. So I've got like a red coaster here. So I can stare at that, and as I'm looking at that red coaster with just my right eye, the red cone cells in my eye are, are weakening, and that red will diminish. And so then once you stare at it for like a minute or is kind of, and you're seeing it diminish, then quickly blink, close your right eye and open your left eye. And now you've got fresh cone cells and you're seeing that coaster or whatever it is that you're looking at 
post-it note or the scissors or I don't know what. It can be anything. And you'll see that all of a sudden the chromatic intensity of that thing is much higher. And you can switch your eyes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And you can see the thing like flicker, like, you know, like dim, bright, dim, bright until all until your cone cells equalize themselves out and you'll start to see it all at the same time or all in the same way, the perception of it. So that's the basics of what afterimages are. One development in the field of studying afterimages is a study that from 2020 that investigated the supplemental relationship of the inducer color to the color afterimage color that's perceived. So throughout history, it's been thought that the, the after image is that colors, the inducer colors complement, or otherwise known as supplemental color. And actually that played a role in determining the traditional color wheel in the placement of what colors were actually considered to be complementary and put across from each other on the color wheel. So like when Newton made his color wheel, it was broken up into, he placed his colors along a pie chart and that the width of each piece of pie was based on a mathematical equation related to the, the notes in a musical scale. So they weren't all the same. So red wasn't exactly across from green on his scale. And so, but that was like in the early 1600s or no, uh, late 1600s, early 1700s. By the time like uh, Chevrolet is writing, he's speaking specifically the after images are complements of the color. And so his color wheel that he makes is the one that we're all more familiar with. So uh, last year, Dutch uh, team, I believe, uh, led by... Jan Koenderich published findings of a study that they did looking at are the afterimages of colors the true supplements? And what the study found was that they were not, that they were approximately reciprocal, to quote, but that they they were not directly across from each other on the color wheel. And when they charted them out, the lines connecting inducer color to supplemental color were arced in varying degrees not even i don't even think the arc was the same in each case although there was one exception that chartreuse and its complement of blue purple were directly across from each other but all the other i don't know how many colors they tested 20 colors none of them were across from each other on the color wheel so so I don't know, does that blow the whole theory of like how our color wheel should be constructed as artists thinking about how light interacts with, with the material that we're working with in terms of successive contrasts and simultaneous contrasts? I guess the, I don't know, we're still working on it, I guess. Maybe Ishnana Kumar will figure that out as she goes through, finishes up middle school and gets into high school and goes to college and becomes a physicist. So there we have it, a brief discussion of afterimages and what is going on with all of that. So yes, supplemental colors, colors affecting our perception. I was playing around with this just the other day. The grass in one part of our yard is like really green and deep. And then we have this like kind of red rubber hose, kind of old school. And I was staring at the hose and then shifting my, my gaze up just a, 
you know, foot, a couple of inches, and I could see an image, the after image of the hose was green, and it was mixing with the green of the grass, making this, like, very intense green that I don't know if it was, but it could have been what's known as an impossible color, an impossible color. So the after image of a color can mix itself onto another color to create a third color that is impossible to replicate using like ink or even light itself. It can only exist in our minds. So that was really interesting to kind of play around with. I guess it calls into question too, and maybe this could be a podcast for another time, definitely, but how much of it is all in our minds and, and how much of it color is in, actually in the environment. I'll leave that for a teaser. I got some thoughts on that. Is the equivalent of uh, if a tree falls in the woods uh, would, and nobody was there, would it make a sound? If there was a color, well, whatever. So yes, after images. Institutional green. Are you familiar with that color? They used to paint, and I don't know if they still do. I think they've moved away from this. But they used to paint the inside walls, the interior walls of operating rooms, this color called institutional green. It was this kind of, you know, whatever green. Not exactly super exciting. But basically it was painted that because it matched the afterimage of red blood. So if you're a surgeon or a surgical team working over a body for like 10 hours straight, basically staring at the operation that you're doing, and basically your field of vision is occupied by this red, you know, what's going on inside the body, that kind of thing. Don't want to be too graphic and gross. That if the person, if the doctor or the nurse or whatever, if they glance up and they see a white wall, they'll see these green shapes floating all over the place. And it can be kind of nauseating, evidently, or it was. And so hospitals started painting their ORs this green color to match the after image. And it was probably still there. It just would have been less noticeable, just like my analogy with the hose and the grass. It would have been a little bit more green. Anyway, all right. Well, thank you for listening, and we'll uh, talk to you later. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please share it with your friends and family who may be interested and follow Chromosphere, the Color Theory Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you if you have comments or suggestions. I'd like to thank Jeremy Shapinsky for writing and performing the theme music. Thank you also to Grant Winkles, Susie Manili, and Jeremy Shapinsky again for their production consulting and editing.